What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, one of us is high while we're recording, and you're going to have to guess which one it is on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Three Quill. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me is Mike Duranic. Not me. <laughs> and Brad Miller. Bye, Felicia. For the record, also not me, so I don't know what that means. For... <laughs> Actually, for the record, for the record, I think for all of our jobs, I would just like to clarify, none of us are high. I do, I just say whatever pops into my head at those cold opens. You've got to make the cold open work. And yes. You, you know, you never, truly, none of us, including you, ever know where you're going with no. it until the words come out of your mouth. Absolutely not. Uh, but here we are. We are doing Brad's pick for the month of April, the Ice Cube Chris Tucker-led Friday. Um, we're still in the franchise world. This movie led to plenty of sequels. <laughs> um, not 23, um, but it, it, it did have... It was 25, like Red Eye. Actually, now I just realized every single movie we're doing this month is technically a franchise film. Um, there are multiples of uh, the other two films that we'll do uh, sure. later in the month that we'll get into. But this week, we are focused on Brad's pick for Friday. So let's get into it the way that we always do, gentlemen. Uh, what was your first experience with this film? Did you see it in the theaters? In the I know it came out in the 90s. I do not have the exact year off the top of my head. Uh, but did you see this movie in the theaters? Did you catch it later on TV rental, whatever it was, whatever have you? And what did you bring into this rewatch for the show? Uh, let's see. It came out in 95. So in April of 95, I was 14 years old. So I know my parents did not take me to the theater to see this. Um... I honestly have no idea. I remember owning the VHS, um, so probably, you know, buying it, I don't know, at the Blockbuster or something after they rented it out to everybody is what I did, but um, I was thinking earlier, this is probably one of the movies I've seen the most in my life. Um, I don't know what that movie is. It's it's probably in the red-eye territory, I would guess, Ethan. I've, I've probably seen it 25 times, but have not seen it since I want to say probably high school so um, haven't seen it since the late 90s um, but watched it a lot in those four or five years after it came out so um, yeah just a, a viewing at the house I just want to clarify so in this same time period your parents would not have taken you to see this in the theater but did pop in Basic Instinct I'm just Leaving that there. Like, I think, and after... They didn't I, do drugs and basic instinct, Mike. I realized after I... Tough but fair. I realized after I shared that story last week, or last month, about basic instinct, that it probably didn't shed a lot of positive light on my parents' choices. But I'm guessing that they probably understood the trauma that that would have on me by sitting down and watching that with my parents, and they were like... If that's what he wants, we're going to show him, and he's never going to ask for this again. So it was probably one of those, like, all right, you're going to get what you asked for sort of things. But, uh, yes, they also did, did not double down and take me to see Friday. In, in fairness to, to your parents, I took that as the equivalent of them saying, oh, you want to smoke? Here, sit with us and smoke this entire pack of cigarettes. Yeah, so yeah, if, I did if, think it was kind of teaching you If you want to try some liquor, you better drink this whole 40 because <laughs> you're going to see what it's really like. So, yeah, yeah. so there, there you go. Um, my story is not anywhere near as uh, as detailed or red-eyed territory as Brad's. This uh, I'm obviously very familiar with this movie, but this is the first time I've ever seen it. Uh, this is also the first time I've ever seen this movie. Uh, I'd never caught it, so 
Uh, and holy cow, I'm surprised. And really knew nothing about it except for I know there's a bunch of them because there's Friday next Friday, Friday after next, and next Friday after the next Friday. That's next after well, the next Friday. Um, and I've seen the memes. That's really I that had no actually makes sense based on age here because the twenty some times that I've seen this all happened probably prior to Mike being born, which is when this was, uh, not born, I'm sorry, <laughs> being able to see uh, a film like this, because he would have been too young um, to, to see it, you know, what, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there. Um, so the, by the time you would have been old enough to see this, culture had already kind of moved past it. So it, it makes sense that, that you guys missed this or it wasn't on your radar. No, in fairness, we, we've already established on this podcast repeatedly that um, this movie would have been right in my wheelhouse for watching at a way too young age because my <laughs> brother would have had it. True. Uh, but this was not one that uh, was one of my brother's favorites from what I can recall. It was not uh, one that I was uh, snatching from the, the VHS collection um, down there. So there we go. Uh, all right, so two of us experiencing it for the first time, and Brad, one of your uh, favorites from your childhood. So, with it being your pick and one of your favorites, uh, you are on the hot seat for the Rotten Tomatoes game. Oh. Uh, so you you did beat me last week for Avengers: Infinity War. So you are going to have to kick it off. Mike's going to have the chance to snipe you one way or the other. So Brad, what is the sitting Rotten Tomatoes score for Friday? Um, so this is one that probably would have scored okay because it it didn't try to be something that it wasn't um, and pay, stayed pretty true to the idea of this is two guys hanging out on a porch on a Friday and, and experiencing life that way and what, what throws at it. But also, too, is not the sort of um, topic that would score high, I think, with critics when you talk about the... The, the drug use and, and some of what was going on in the, the culture of the film. So I think that's going to bring the number down a little bit. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with a 79 because I think that's kind of right in the middle of where it could go either way. Um, and I will let Mike decide which way he wants to go from there. It's a good pick. Um, I'm going to stick with what I had in my mind, which was basically right there. It was a 78, with my rationale being, much like you said, Brad, I remember this being, this was a cultural touchstone through the 90s, and so I do think it scored pretty well. However, I think that the topics probably uh, were lost on a good number of critics that uh, otherwise probably would have moved it up into the 80s. So I'm going to go with a 78, but we're you and I are thinking along the same lines, which is when we're going to find out that it was either a 50 or a 90. <laughs> so you had 78, and 78, Brady had 77. 79. So you had 79. Okay. Uh, well... That means that there will be no clean sweep this month. Or uh, clean sweep. Or clean sweep. It's been a rotating seat. Uh, but you guys were right on it. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score 76 for this one. So very safely fresh. Um, not the certified fresh of 80%, but right there in the audience, 91. So quite a gap. 15% jump up from the critics to the audience, which makes sense, I think, in this case. This is, I mean, obviously you and I both are really familiar with this movie for having not seen it, so it has a very avid following, mm -hmm. which makes sense then that there's that jump up to the 91% uh, that people have it at. So I won't forget this time. I almost almost lost it. You guys uh, brought me back on track last week, but 
is Rotten Tomatoes correct? That that's where we head next. Uh, Brad, I have a feeling that you're gonna be more on the audience side of this. Um, but is Rotten Tomatoes correct at that seventy six percent? Uh, I mean, I think the audience uh, score is closer to correct. If it were just me giving it a number based on other movies we've done, I think I would go high 80s. I think that uh, this was right in the middle of a subgenre of things that were going on. This was right in the height of Snoop Dogg being popular with Midwestern kids, Dr. Dre being popular with Midwestern kids. You had, like, Boys in the Hood and... Um, you know, I think this was probably, and, and Mike's more of the, uh, I guess, expert on this, but this is probably right at where some of the height of the Tupac popularity was coming, because this was just a little bit before his, his death. Um, so, Above the Rim, you know, all these things that kind of played into this culture, uh, and I think this was one of the ones that did it the best, because they brought humor to a, a topic that could have been sad and depressing and, and I think they did it in a way that wasn't just beat you over the head with it. It wasn't corny humor, it wasn't anything like that, it was just, hey Chris Tucker here's your platform, go do your thing and, and they did it very well. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed this, I don't know why it hit so well with me at that age because I clearly am nowhere near the uh, the target audience for this um but it, it worked for me and it was one of those that i i, I watched on repeat uh, a lot back then so um yeah i think high 80s would be more accurate so the critic score of 76 i believe you said to me is is not correct yeah i don't have uh i think a ton to add to what you just said brad um i think if you grade it again in the time that the movie was released the fact that it's a 76 uh, probably is indicative of the fact that uh, a lot of the people who are uh, movie critics in that time and era or whatnot, um, they're just not aware of the cultural touchdown that this was, did become. I mean, also mid-90s, as you, you pointed out, is really the infusion of uh, hip-hop and you know R&B culture into mainstream uh, American culture which now here in the you know year 2023 uh, it, it's taken for granted it's just fully infused here almost 30 years later but back then it was still uh, very much uh, a foreign thing and so the gap in between the critics and the fans don't surprise me. I think that this movie was probably a solid uh, low to mid 80s uh, for me as I kind of take everything into account. Uh, so the the fans were probably a little high, the critics probably a little low. If you average the two, you're you're probably right in the the ballpark. Yeah, this is uh, it's a tough one for me. I think I mean, I'll just say just off the bat like this movie's just not for me. Um I don't the genre of movie that's just like, I mean, I don't want to limit it. I know it's more than this, but the genre of movie that's centered around pot just isn't for me. Like, and it, and it's not a. Don't take this as like I look down upon people that smoke pot. Like, it's not that. I mean, personally, I just don't like what pot does to me. So that's why I've avoided it for as long as I have. Like, but it's it's just not my kind of thing. It's and it, and that transitions into like comedians. Like I love. I think J Dave Chappelle is hilarious. I don't ever really connect with the percentage of his jokes that are about pot. 
doesn't really hit with me. Same thing with like rap music. I think Lil Wayne is really, really good. I enjoy hearing, not, well, I mean, I haven't listened to his music in a long time, but his best songs, I think, are the ones where he's letting out some anger or things like that. The songs that are completely about smoking pot, not for me. Like, it's and it's just always where I've been at. Like, even something like Pineapple Express, I know, had, like, a big cult following when I was in high school. Hated it. It's centered around pot. So, like, that's just been a genre of music, comedy, movies, TV. That's never really been my thing. I, I kind of assumed that's what this movie was before I hit play. Because, again, all I'd ever seen is the memes, but I just kind of picked up on just the genre of the time, things like that. So like you like you said, Brad, this movie wasn't targeted for you back then. It certainly wasn't targeted for me now. So I didn't really enjoy it, but I think the score is accurate for what it is. I do think, I agree with you that this movie never tried to be anything that it wasn't. I understand why it had a cult following in the 90s, but this is kind of one of those situations where seeing this movie in 2023 when it was made for 1995 was very hard for me to get behind. And I think we ran into this with White Men Can't Jump because that was the first time I had seen that. I understood why it was popular back then. I added, I think we all kind of ended up having a more negative response to that movie anyway, even you guys that had seen it before. But again, had I seen White Men Can't Jump in 92, 93, probably would have really liked it. So it just wasn't for me. But I will say... I think the score is accurate, and even you guys saying that it probably should have maybe been in the 80s, I get it. This one was just a little tougher because it's just it was just so far outside of my realm. Well, and, and I think we've talked about how Rotten Tomatoes score. These are actual scores from when it came out, right? Mm-hmm. So that was prior to knowing how much of a cultural influence it was going to have over the next five years. Right. And I think that if you could score it five years later, it would have been much higher because, you know, you watch something and say, oh yeah, that was that was good. Part of why this is so good to me is because of what it meant then right. and, you know, hitting some of those high notes from that film and watching it again and, and laughing and reminiscing um, is why it would still be up there. So, yeah, I don't have any problem with people saying it's that low. I don't think it's a, uh, you know, it's not going to win any awards, but it... Uh, yeah, definitely, I think, deserves to be higher than a 76. I think if you grade this, at the time it came out, the 76 makes sense. If you grade it five years later, as Brad's saying, I think it probably moves up to an 86. And if you grade it then, again, 20-some years later, the 76 might feel uh, more correct now. And so I do think it shows just the interesting kind of lifetime that a movie like this can take. And it, it probably is really dependent on when you first came to know the movie. Uh, where you were at, what stage of your of your life it was, as so many of these movies have been, as we've talked about, right? There are movies from each of our respective childhoods um, kind of coming across, you know, a, a number of different years that because of when it came out and where we were at in life and the memories that we have related to the films, we all have them ranked at vastly different places. I mean, all of them are inside of Ethan's top ten. We mm-hmm. haven't seen a movie yet that's not. But Correct. for Brad and I, there's a wide range based off of the nostalgia or lack thereof uh, connected with the films. So this this week is going to be a little more traditional, how we do the episode. Last week there was just so much going on that we couldn't really go through the cast, but this week much easier to do so, um, especially when you have so much of the focus being on Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. So let's start with Ice Cube. Uh, this pretty early on in his transition into acting, of course, his claim to fame, how he got big, was his rapping career. 
um, and, and things like that. Um, this, from what I could tell, was his third real major motion picture that he did. Um, he started with Boys in the Hood, was his first trip into acting. Uh, he did a John Singleton film called Higher Learning, which I've never seen, um, but I'm getting the nods that you two know what that is. Um, and then this. Um, so this definitely the first trip into comedy that he's done, and I think that's really my enjoyment of Ice Cube is in this genre. Um, I think this is where he lives most happily. Um, you know, my favorites to watch him in, he's in the Jump Street movies, and I think he's absolutely hilarious in those. Um, so I think he has found a nice little safe space for himself in the comedy genre, but he's been very successful. Uh, however you feel about it. So I guess looking over it, how familiar were you guys growing up with the music side of his career? I mean, obviously, my age, I knew him as a actor, and I thought it was hilarious that an actor actually sold himself as Ice Cube, um, not knowing what NWA was when I was eight years old, um, and, and then kind of learning about that afterwards. You guys obviously would have known NWA leading into his acting career. So where are you guys at with Ice Cube? And then like kind of the normal thing, is this the peak? Do you have something else that you think to... Uh, when you think of him, kind of, how do you guys look at his career? Uh, NWA has never been a thing for me. It was too um, hardcore uh, when it was popular for me. I, I couldn't get into it, and that sort of uh, as I've as I've gotten older, that genre has uh, um, eluded me. I just never really got into his rap career. I'm familiar with some of the songs, probably. Um, you know, when you talk about him and, and Easy E and Dr. Dre and all that, like, like, yeah, it's been a big part of the the culture in my lifetime. But um, not really familiar uh, with his rap as much as I am with his acting. As far as peak, yeah, I think for me this is the peak. Um, he's got good parts in other films. I'm kind of looking through here to see. You know, I don't know if you mentioned the barbershop films. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, obviously that, that kind of comes to mind, but, um, for me, when, if, if you just say, Hey, Ice Cube, what's he, what's his peak? I would say NWA and Friday. So, um, as far as acting, that's, this is, uh, number one on his Mount Rushmore for sure. Yeah. I think the first time that I, uh, saw him in a movie was actually 1999's Three Kings, uh, with, uh, Clooney and Wahlberg. Uh, I wonder if he and Marky Mark had any uh, conversations on set about what it was like to move from being rap icons to <laughs> uh, actors, but that's probably a conversation for a different uh, episode. Um, much like Brad, uh, NW, uh, NWA was uh, certainly ahead of my time, and by the time that I started listening to you know rap music a little bit more, it was not something that I really engage with. I'm familiar with the music. Um, so Ice Cube, I probably came to know Ice Cube first as an actor uh, through uh, be awareness of him in this movie, again, having not seen it, uh, but Three Kings, things like that, you know, uh, probably saw him in the uh, all-time epic Anaconda. Can't believe oh, we yes. haven't done that on this uh, podcast yet. Um, but what know, month again, did that come out? Yeah, well, probably you know probably December. That's probably the reason. It yeah, probably, it, it was it was so in, stacked. In, in for the awards uh, conversation. Um, April, April. There you go. Well, <laughs> missed opportunity there. Maybe next year. Um, you know, I think with with him, he is 
the epitome of somebody who was able to reinvent himself. And, you know, the, the impressive thing is with him, with Dre, you know, Snoop in a different way as a cultural icon. I mean, so many people from that generation did manage to transition into um, becoming uh, bigger than, than just, a, just a rapper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a musician. And I think he's probably one of the most successful ones out there. You look at his filmography, and I agree with you, Brad, nothing on here really like jumps out as like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But he has steadily been involved. He's moved into you know writing, producing through his career. Um, and certainly has you know been able to create a, enough space in that for him to have a very successful career that has, uh, in his case, long exceeded his rap career. Um, and obviously, Dr. Dre went a different direction with that in terms of the producing and things like that. But both of them incredibly successful and probably more successful for what they've done off of the albums than what they've actually done on the albums. Yeah, I I mean I, the my knowledge of N.W.A. It's from the movie Straight Outta Compton. I mean, I, I walked into that. No, I had prob. I mean, sure, I had heard an NWA song prior to that, but not, but just in the background of something like. So that's so far removed from anything I knew about Ice Cube. Um, I would sit for me again, kind of saying like where I'm at with this movie. I think Three Kings is the best movie he's ever done. That I can still say like that's an Ice Cube movie. Like his name's on the poster. He that's a shared like three man lead. Like. If I'm going to watch something that Ice Cube's in, it's the Jump Street movies, but that's not an Ice Cube movie. He's just really funny in the ten minutes he's in those. I think he's actually really, really good in um, Three Kings. I think he gives a really good performance. But also, like, Mark Wahlberg's been nominated for an Academy Award. So that doesn't necessarily say that Ice Cube can always bring that A-game. But he has it. He has it in there. He's he's got that that pitch in the. And I, I love that they had his son in that movie. Yes, and he was that was and, that was, and great. He was really good. I mean, I hope that you could impersonate your dad, and he did a great job of it. Um, but the so that I mean, really, it's a very limited um, experience that I have with Ice Cube. I actually, with my childhood, have more connection to Chris Tucker as we flip uh, to the other star here, um, because. As a kid, I was a massive fan of the Rush Hour movies. I loved those movies as a kid, and I'll still watch them if they're on, at least the first two, maybe not the third one, but I really, really enjoyed those, and it's very interesting. His career is pretty wild to look at, because he, you know, he had this, obviously the big popular cult following that this has. He's in The Fifth Element, again, has a huge cult following, uh, Money Talks, Jackie Brown, the Rush Hour movies, and then after Rush Hour 2, his career's basically just done. And it's pretty surprising because none of those movies are flops. All of those movies have a cult following or were just flat-out big successes. Rush Hour 2 was probably his most successful financial film, and then his career's just done. He From 2001 to 2007, when Rush Hour 3 comes out, he does nothing. Then he takes another five years off, and he's actually really, really good in Silver Linings Playbook. Mm-hmm. If you guys remember, he's fantastic as a sporting character in that. And now he's taken almost a decade off, and he's about to be in Ben Affleck's next directed film, Air, the the Michael Jordan Nike shoe story. So I'm sure he'll be really good in that, based on what he just did in Silver Linings Playbook. But that's really strange how limited his career is when you start with some. Really, this is kind of the kicking off point of his career, and it has such a cult following. It is so popular. You fold it into some pretty successful action films, 
and then you just kind of are done. That's pretty strange, but I've always I'm really guessing enjoyed it. that that probably was his choice. Yeah. Um, I was reading on here at one point he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Yeah. When when you get that title, even for a short period of time, like you can just yep. go and live your life and not really have to work. Plus, like he's the type of character and personality that I think he probably understood at some point. Like. I could give the world too much of me and then they're going to turn on me. And I think he probably realized like, Hey, instead of doing this cash grab and just hitting film after film after film and letting the world turn on me for just getting tired of me. Um, I think he read the room correctly and said, I'm going to go out on top and I'm assuming by choice lived a pretty comfortable yeah, life. Yeah, because he, he didn't have a flop. I mean, Rush mm -hmm. Hour 2 was still successful. Obviously, they made a third yeah. one, so it wasn't like he started just bombing, and then... Well, and, and so, if we kind of follow that through, he's selective, uh, more so than most actors that, that we've covered in, in almost any way, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if his kind of claim to fame moving forward is, I'm going to be known for things like my role in Silver Linings Playbook, I'm going to take a role in Air... Uh, you know what I was just looking at showed that he made I think twenty million for Rush Hour two, yeah. another twenty five for Rush Hour three. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah why? if you if you invest that and are smart, you know if you're living paycheck to paycheck on that, then you have to keep pumping the movies out. Right. But if any of us got twenty million dollars twenty years ago, if we got twenty million dollars today, uh, I can say with confidence I wouldn't have to work. Again. No, I'd be done. Yeah, hundred <laughs> so, percent. You know, so kudos to him, uh, assuming, as Brad said, that it is a choice. Uh, and, again, him getting cast in Silver Linings Playbook and being cast in, in Air indicates that he's maybe picking his spots and probably uh, picking his spots well, because I don't know about you guys, I'm excited for Air. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm already excited for Air, but then when I was looking at this research and getting ready for today, the fact that... Silver Linings Playbook was apparently good enough to get him to join on mm -hmm. and ended up, obviously, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence won for that. I think the writing won for that. That's a fantastic, that's one of those movies that doesn't get talked about that I absolutely love and I wish got talked about more. I think it's one of those things, it's a December movie, so it's really hard for it to ever come up on this podcast. Um, and a different Bradley Cooper is going to be eligible this December that will continue to put Silver Linings Playbook off to the side. But anyways, if that movie was so well put together that he was willing to come do it and now he read the script for this because it's not like Ben Affleck is so influential to him that he'll pull him out. It has to be something mm -hmm. really good enough to get him on board. So already excited for it. That comes out in a couple weeks. So mm -hmm. I'm hotly anticipating uh, anything that Ben Affleck directs. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, hats off to him. You made your money. You're super uh, successful when you had it. And I mean, yeah, so... And I think he was really funny in this. Again, I, just, I wish I, I really wish I liked this movie more because I do enjoy Ice Cube and I do love Chris Tucker. It just there was just something that never. But and I, I think, rightfully so, if this was by choice, like he has to know and be self-aware enough to say I'm the type of personality, even my voice, my the energy that I act with is going to at some point to rub people the wrong way. And if he's turned, I don't know what he's going to make for Air or what he made on Silver Linings Playbook, but even if it's a few million dollars to say, hey, I could do this, make this money, get out while people still want more of me, mm -hmm. and then can turn that into, you know, a few million dollars later on over the next 20 years, like, good for him, you know? Good for him to, to do that because there's some people that, 
would go the exact opposite and just pump everything out and then you kind of hope you never see them in anything again so it I wish someday we would know, or hope hope someday that we can know why he's not been in certain movies. You know, well, and it looks like he's also been doing stand up, uh, picking his spots there. And you know, again, if he's successful, who knows if, if, what he is involved in? Also, in terms of just like I don't know, you know, producing on a small scale, things like that, being involved in some writing on a small scale. But regardless, uh, you know, he was good in this had a very successful three movie arc run commercially with the rush hour movies uh, and is clearly a very skilled actor based off of you know what we saw in silver lightning's playbook in particular so the last bit of this then i think the other big star to talk about i know uh there's other people that pop up in this but i want to talk about behind the camera because f gary gray has had actually quite a career um, he started, he did a lot of... What did Gary Gray ever do to you? Well, <laughs> he he started, he did a lot of music videos, which a lot of directors in the 90s got their start doing music videos, um, and a lot of them specifically for Ice Cube. Um, this was his first movie that he did, um, which, you know, pretty pretty good if the, the, the first movie you ever do gets this kind of following. But I've actually ended up, and a lot of these movies, I don't realize that F. Gary Gray did, and then you look back and you're like, oh, okay. I'm a fan of The Negotiator. Gotta find ways to stop talking about Kevin Spacey on this podcast, but there he is again. I like that movie. Um, Mark Wahlberg's Italian Job, I really enjoy. Even A Man Apart with Vin Diesel. We've talked about our love for shitty 90s action movies. I know that came out in 2003, but I promise you it's a 90s action movie. Um, Be Cool is even fun. Law Abiding Citizen is awesome. He did a Fast and Furious movie. So he's had a pretty successful career for getting his start as... Ice Cube's music video director, um, and I think it's pretty impressive. I don't know, as I say those things, if you guys end up kind of like I did, like, oh, he did those movies too, um, but he's had a pretty good run. Yeah, just looking at his filmography here. Uh, as, oh, and Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, I mean, I missed that. But... Director, producer on Straight Outta Compton. Um, yeah, can't uh, can't argue with it, and, and uh, most people would be really, really happy to have, it looks like about 12 movies there. If that was their 12-movie yeah. arc, they'd be... Uh, pretty happy so looks very successful even if you're you know telling him to f off yeah f you gary gray <laughs> any, does that any of that stand out to you outside of friday are you a fan of any of those i mean you just said that you like straight out of compton but yeah i mean i i think i don't have much to add i mean talented at what he does and um i think i have enjoyed several of the things that he's put out over time so all right, so I think that'll take us in favorite line, favorite scene, fellas. We'll do for comedies. We usually save the favorite line for last. So let's go favorite scene uh, here. It uh, for me uh, the one that gets me is uh, it all starts with the kitchen scene, but then uh, Ice Cube's in the kitchen with his mom, and you, Craig, get in here, and you just he kind of looks at him, and he has to go into the bathroom while his dad's giving him life advice. You know, he's just sitting there, and the dad, you know, is spraying the air freshener, and how the hell are you going to get fired? Or, your mom told me what happened, you know, and, like, just the whole thing, and all day long, and a dog's ass, and just that whole that whole thing cracks me up, because the uh, idea that a dad would say, son, get in here, I want to talk, while he's taking a crap is just, you know, hilarious. So that's that's my favorite scene. I, I mean, for me, it's it was just the early scenes on the porch with the two of them, just because like I said, I like Ice Cube and I really have always enjoyed Chris Tucker 
and that was where I had the highest hope that I'd be able to really like latch onto this movie. Um, and like I said, the movie just ended up not being for me, but I did enjoy seeing the two of them together, and that was just kind of the, the like obviously the start of it. So yeah, and I kind of like led you both in. I don't know that I have a favorite uh, scene. I, I think that the movie played well back to back to back in terms of the scenes. Nothing really stood out to me. Favorite line. Uh, Chris Tucker, he says, I got mind control over Debo. He'd be like, shut up, I'd be quiet. But when he leaves, I'll be talking again. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. just hilarious, you know, yeah. to think that he's somehow controlling this man by doing exactly what he says. Yeah. Um, side note, uh, did you know that this movie and that character is actually why Debo Samuel goes by Debo? I did not. I, 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 I kind my, of assumed. Huh, but in my research. There you go. I kind of assumed that that... You know, somewhere along the line, uh, did they say why? Is it, does he look like him, or big tough guy like him, or I, I didn't. It didn't go. Uh, I didn't go further down that, but, uh, but yeah, he uh, he he is evidently goes by Devo because of that. So for me, um, much like Brad with uh, the bathroom scene, I'm, I'm going you know back to the bathroom here because I did like this line. It made me laugh, right? So uh, the mom is saying, "You know what your problem is? You have no game, or whatever." <laughs> He says, what do you know about game? I got all the game. Now your father, he got game. And then dad comes out and he's like, yeah, don't go away in the bathroom for 35, 40 minutes. Somebody open a window. And Craig mm -hmm. goes, you call that game? Mm -hmm. that's, that's dad game right there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, the one that made me laugh the most, um, I don't know why, I just like had that good little like chuckle to myself, was Chris Tucker saying, puff, puff, give, puff, puff, give. You have enough the rotation. I don't know why. But it's just, it's the way that Chris Tucker talks, I think, and it just, like, took me back to enjoying Rush Hour as a kid, and that was that was just what made me laugh the most, so that's what I'm going to go with. Um, but yeah, so that will do it. That is our conversation of Friday uh, from 1995, and that will take us into next week. Big change, very, very different film. My pick uh, for the month of April, I planted this flag uh, probably late last year when I knew that this would be available to us. And it is John Krasinski's A Quiet Place, now eligible to us, just five years old now. So we will get into that next week. This week was Friday. Thank you so much uh, for listening and supporting the show. And other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.